I hope that no one heard me say we need to start a revolution and overthrow the government. <laughs> That's not what I was suggesting or implying or presuming. And uh, as for the passage in, in Romans 13 that says God establishes the governing authorities, you have to understand that that word established there actually means an ordering. Although the governmental systems of this world are in the hands of the devil during this present evil age, God is sovereign. And if you can think of the world as a bizarre chessboard where every pawn has its own free will, God is so smart and so wise that he can see 10 moves ahead of every single pawn. Yes. And so consequently, even though we have the Hitlers and I'm talking about the extremes now and other dictators in history and in, in the present time that it's a no-brainer to see who's inspiring them. We also have other politicians who may not be that dramatic in their evil but yet are operating by the same force. God arranges and orders what they do and the extent of what they do. And then even when the evil occurs, he writes straight with crooked lines. He brings good out of it. In the book on the kingdom that will come out next year, I give a lot of time to Romans 13 and some other passages that have been misunderstood and that seem perhaps to conflict with the idea that the world system and all the governmental and political and educational systems under it are part of kingdom of darkness, there is no contradiction. God is ultimately sovereign and he uses and orders what exists and God still brings out good things through government. I'm not saying government's evil, but it was the way it's presented to us and the way we see it on the planet, it's not his best and perfect will. It's not what he originally intended. I made a comment that there are three different kinds of life, lifestyles, ways of living on the planet. I said there was human civilization, fallen human civilization. There is tribal life and then there is something called ecclesia life. And that's very similar to tribal life, only there's one difference. There is something divine and supernatural operating in and through it. God's life and it's distinct from tribal life although it's similar but it's very different from human civilization fallen human civilization I'm gonna to read to you a letter in opening this next message our son had done well he went to good schools and graduated with accolades he also served in the military for a time he had a very promising career ahead of him. Unfortunately, he has joined an Eastern religious sect. The members of this sect call upon him continuously. They have given him a new set of strange friends, a strange new vocabulary, and well, he's just different. He spends most of his time with the people in this sect, and he regards them to be his new family. He is closer to them than he is with his own flesh and blood. They are constantly sharing their bizarre beliefs with anyone who will listen. 
He spends his time with the worst kind of people, criminals, addicts, the homeless. He sold many of his possessions and he lives very simply. He tells us that he and the others in his religion share their possessions with each other and they also give a great deal to the poor. He broke off his relationship with his fiancée and he ended many of his friendships, all because of his new beliefs. He has also lost his ambition to be successful. He no longer joins us to celebrate the holidays and he's renounced the religion we raised him on. His entertainment choices are different now also. In addition, he no longer loves his country as he once did. His new way of living goes against everything we taught him. We are heartsick. We've lost our son. He's a failure now. Lost to a strange cult and we do not know what to do about it. And that letter was not written by the parents of a Muni or a Hare Krishna. It's a letter that has been compiled, written by the aristocratic Roman parents lamenting that their children had become Christians. And it was taken from letters and documents from the first and second and third century. And sisters and brothers, the gospel of the kingdom that was preached in the first century rarely exists today. But it's time that God reclaimed it and recovered it. Now, I'm going to take you on a journey here and uh, I want you to follow with me. I'm going to read to you certain passages in Scripture. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. I just want you to listen. You will have all the audios from these messages. You can always go back. But in Genesis 6, the earth had become increasingly evil and wicked, so much so that God wiped it out with a great flood. What God was doing was starting over again to establish his kingdom. And when Noah emerged on the dry land, he repeated the commission that he had given to Adam. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And he also reminded Noah that humans were made in God's image. You can find that in Genesis 9. God was starting over again. As time went on, something of the old, wicked world before the flood seeped into the new world with Noah. Noah had a son named Ham. And the descendants of Ham became the wicked Canaanites, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and the Philistines. All of Israel's greatest enemies came from the seed of Ham. He was the corrupter in the lot. And he brought into the new world something of the old world. And Ham had a son, a descendant really, not a direct son, named Nimrod. And in Genesis 10 we have the first time the word kingdom is used in the Bible. And it is a reference to the kingdom of Babel. And Nimrod was the founder of Babel. It was another city 
outside the presence of God. Another city that was built because humans had left the presence of God. And I've spoken a lot about the spiritual meaning of Babel in other places, for example, from eternity to here. But because of the people's pride and disobedience, God wanted them to scatter and multiply and make the earth fruitful. They stayed in one place. They created a centralized government so they can reach the heavens and make a name for themselves. And God condemned the whole enterprise, as you remember. He scattered the people all throughout the world. And here is what he did that is so fascinating and is little known. God divided the people in Babel all throughout the world according to the number of celestial beings in heaven. And what God did was he disinherited the nations. He basically said, all right, I sent the flood. I was starting over again. I want my kingdom established on the earth. And here we go again. So I'm going to scatter the nations. I'm going to no longer deal with them directly. Mankind, I'm not dealing with mankind directly, with human beings directly. I'm going to put some of the heavenly host, some of these celestial beings in charge of all the nations. I'm done with them. I am disinheriting the nations. And I'm going to start over again with a brand new nation that will be my inheritance. Now listen to Deuteronomy 32. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, meaning their lands, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. That is the best translation. Any scholar will tell you that. That's Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 in the ESV. The Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, goes along with this. He divided the people up according to the number of the heavenly host, the sons of God. It's referring to Babel. And then what the Lord did is, as I said, he says, I'm starting over again. I'm going to create a new nation by myself, for myself. And what do we have? In Genesis 11, we have the Tower of Babel being judged, condemned, the people being scattered all over the world. And what's in Genesis 12? God calls Abraham. And he starts a new nation. And that nation will be his inheritance. The next verse in Deuteronomy 32 says, For the people of Israel belong to the Lord. Jacob is his special possession. Deuteronomy 32 verse 9. So what God did is he put the nations under lesser beings. He created his own nation, Israel, that will be his inheritance. But tragedy struck again. You know what happened? Those celestial beings became power hungry and they followed in the footsteps of Lucifer before them and they revolted against God. And they, with the power over the nations, started to demand worship themselves. 
and they became the false gods of the nations that you read about all throughout the Old Testament. And Paul said they were supernatural beings in Corinthians. He says that the false gods of the world are demonic. Psalms 82 tells us the story. It says, God provides, God presides over heaven's court, meaning the heavenly host. He pronounces judgment on the heavenly beings. That's Psalm 82, verses 1 to 2. And what God did is because those heavenly beings revolted against his authority, grabbed the power for themselves, and rejected the Lord over them, his judgment on them was that he would take away their immortality. And this is what Psalm 82, 6 and 7 says. You are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mortals. You will fall like every human ruler. But then the Lord says something else in the same Psalm. Psalm 82, verse 8. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is, even though you have disinherited the nations, and even though these celestial beings, the sons of God that you put over the nations, have rebelled against you, one day you will arise and you will inherit the nations again. Yes. And in Isaiah 66, that's the promise. God will one day reclaim the nations for himself. All right? So, again, here's the picture. God's done with the human race. This is Deuteronomy 32. He's finished with the human race. At Babel, he appoints celestial beings in the heavenly host to govern the nations. And then he starts his own nation, Israel, which is his inheritance. And he disinherits the nations. Those celestial beings fall and rebel. And they become the false gods of the nations. And we can read about them in Daniel 10. In Daniel 10, there's warfare in heaven. And Michael, the archangel of Israel, is warring with who? The prince of Greece and the prince of Persia. He's not talking about earthly princes. These are those celestial beings that fell. These are fallen heavenly host beings that God put over the nations that fell and Michael is fighting with them. You can read it yourself in Daniel 10. I'm not making this up, I promise. <laughs> I know this sounds like something that came out of Wonder Woman where you had these gods over the nations <laughs> causing them to fight, but you know what? There's a seed of truth behind that. Yes. Where do you think the false gods came from? They're fallen celestial beings who once were servants of the Lord. Well, it gets even worse <laughs> because Israel was warned, do not worship these beings that are put over the nations. Do not follow after the false gods of the other nations. And those celestial beings, those demonic beings, seduced Israel and Israel followed in the path of the nations and they began to worship these powerful unseen beings 
just like the pagan nations did. They, Israel, went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they have not known and whom God had not allotted to them. That's Deuteronomy 29, 26. They, Israel, sacrificed to false gods, which are not the true God, gods they had not known. Deuteronomy 32, verse 17. And listen to this one. God was warning them ahead of time, before they fell, before Israel surrendered to these false gods and began to worship them, the Lord himself warned them, Beware lest you raise your eyes to the heaven, and when you see the sun and moon and stars, and all the host of the heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the heaven. In other words, I have allotted these celestial beings to the other nations, not to you, Israel. I'm your God. You're my inheritance. Don't worship them. And that's what they did. And the Old Testament is the story of Israel against the nations and the God of Israel against the false gods. And those false gods were once celestial beings under Almighty God. Now you can read this in Deuteronomy 32 in the best translations, Psalm 82, and all throughout Deuteronomy. And here is the most interesting thing. Listen to this from Paul in the New Testament. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness. Rulers of darkness of this age, the evil rulers of this world, those are terms of territorial dominion. Those are terms of geographic authority. He's talking about these fallen celestial beings over the nations. Now, if you have that understanding, you understand that there are over every nation unseen powers that once served God but are now in league with Satan and these are those powers that Paul is talking about these are the principalities and powers these are the ones that Michael was fighting with in the book of Daniel in chapter 10 and when you understand that as the backdrop and you look at Luke chapter 10 when Jesus sends out some of his disciples does anybody know the number of how many he sent out? 70. 72. It depends on what translation. Some say 70, some say 72. If you go to Genesis chapter 10 and 11, and you count the table of nations, it's 70 or 72, depending on the translation. The point is the same. The point is the same. Jesus was sending his disciples to go to the nations that were under the dominion of celestial fallen powers. Why? To reclaim them for Almighty God. To bring them back under God's kingdom. That's what he was doing. And when they went, what was happening? There's spiritual warfare going on. They're casting on demonic spirits. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Why? Because they were going into pagan territory to reclaim 
the nations that had fallen. Isaiah 66 was being fulfilled. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. This makes sense when you look at what Jesus said. Even in Luke 10, when he sends them out and they're waging spiritual warfare and they have authority over these fallen spirits and they rejoice, he stands in Israel and he said, Lord of heaven and earth, you remember when Israel was out of the land and they were serving other nations and other gods? He was just called the God of heaven. Well, now Jesus says, Lord of heaven and earth, it's happening. We're reclaiming the nations now. And this puts a new light on the words in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of what? All nations. God is re-inheriting. He's reclaiming the nations now. It's happening. He's laying claim on every nation with the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Not just Israel anymore. God's bringing them back. Why? So that they can go to heaven when they die. <laughs> well, that's part of it. But no, to deliver them from the power of darkness and Satan's dominion and translate them into the kingdom of God's dear son. I just quoted Colossians 1. And this brings us to the day of Pentecost. Jesus has ascended. The Holy Spirit has come to the earth. And what's happening in Pentecost is Babel is being reversed. It's being reversed on several levels. In Babel, they dispersed. In Pentecost, they all come together. In Babel, there's division. At Pentecost, there's unity. But it goes even deeper than that. Just listen to this. In Acts 2, verse 3, the same Greek word that's used for divided tongues, that word divided, it's used in the ESV, that Greek word, is the exact same word that's used in Deuteronomy 32.8 when God divided mankind, talking about Babel. And what Luke is doing there is he's signaling to the reader, think about Babel. It's being reversed. Yes. In Acts 2.6, the word bewildered in the ESV is the same Greek word that's used in Genesis 11.7. It's translated confuse. The language was confused. Acts bewildered. Same Greek word. I'm talking about in the Greek Old Testament now when you compare it. Same Greek word. Their language was confused. Again, Luke is saying, hey, pay attention. Babel is being reversed. What's really powerful to me is if you map out every nation mentioned in Acts chapter 2, all the people from all over the Roman Empire, all those Jews who went on the day of Pentecost, and you place every nation that's listed there in Acts 2 on a map. And then you go over to the table of nations in Genesis 10 and 11, I believe it is. You have a list of nations. And you put all those on a map. 
and you compare them, they connect. The only difference is the names are different. Once again, Babel, Babylon is being reversed. And of course, you know, when the tongues came upon their heads, that was a picture of the fire falling from heaven on the temple of God in the Old Testament. Here is the new temple. Here is the new kingdom. Babel is being reversed. The nations are being reclaimed and it's happening now. And then, when Jesus said, this gospel shall be brought to the end of the earth. Remember that? This gospel of the kingdom will be brought to the end of the earth. It's in the gospels. If you look at that map again, let's go back and look at that map. If you look at the book of Acts and you read all the nations and you put them on a map, and some people have done this. So you have all the nations in Acts 2 that are represented on a map. The way he lists them, he lists them from east to west. All right? It starts in Jerusalem. Then it pushes west. Okay, now this is fascinating to me. The Lord said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. In the first part of Acts, chapter 2 to 12, you have the gospel of the kingdom brought to Israel, Judea, and Samaria. In the second part of Acts, chapters 13 to 28, you have Paul taking the gospel of the kingdom to the Gentile nations. And when you follow his steps, where he went, he moves from east to west. He starts in Antioch. Then he goes to Galatia. Then he goes to Greece. Then he goes to Rome. He's moving west. Just like the nations are listed east to west in the book of Acts. And then in Romans 15, he says, I'm going to come to Rome. He's writing to the Romans. He says, I'm going to come to Rome. Now, Rome is far west from Israel, far west from Antioch. He's still pushing west. He says, after I go to Rome, I'm going to stop somewhere else. Where does he say? Do you know? I'm going to Spain. Spain is even further west than Rome. And if you go to the table of nations in Genesis 10 and 11, and you look at all those nations, you know what the one that's furthest west is, the nation that's furthest west? It's called Tarshish. Tarshish. Do you know what Tarshish is? It's Spain. Paul was tracing the nations mentioned in the book of Acts, actually in the Tower of Babel, the ones that were disinherited, and he's tracing them to reclaim them for the kingdom of God even to the very west. And when Jesus said to the end of the earth, that's what he was talking about. Keep going west. Praise the Lord. And so Paul makes this comment in Romans 11. He talks about the fullness of the Gentiles. The full number of Gentiles. When the full number of Gentiles have heard the gospel of the kingdom and God has reclaimed the nations, then the end shall come. And sisters and brothers, those of us in this room listening to this recording, everyone 
who is a follower of Jesus Christ, who has given their life to the gospel of the kingdom, is part of this global reclaiming of the nations that God has been doing since Jesus sent out his 70. And that is an exciting thing. And we, as the body of Christ, have been given power over those fallen, unseen spiritual beings and other nations. Now, we're not to revile them. We're not to speak ill of them. We're not to speak wicked of them. There's scripture about this that even the archangel Michael did not speak against the glorious ones. But we have power over them. And the thing that keeps us unempowered is when we have not given, given our allegiance, our full allegiance to him, Christ, abandoned. So that's another benefit, obeying the gospel of the kingdom. For the Lord said in Psalm 2, verses 7 to 8, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And that's the promise that still stands. And praise the Lord. Daniel 7.14, I'm going to close here. He, one like the Son of God, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Sisters and brothers, we have been called to something magnificent, yes. glorious, powerful, huge, profound and dramatic. It involves the reclaiming and the re-inheriting of the nations for Jesus Christ. Yes. Amen. And that's what I wanted to say to you tonight. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Give the Lord glory. <laughs> the last point I want to make here is just to sort of tell you where we're going. Tomorrow morning I'm going to speak to you about the gospel of the kingdom according to John the Baptist, the gospel of the kingdom according to Jesus Christ, and then tomorrow night we will look at the gospel of the kingdom according to Simon Peter, and then the gospel of the kingdom according to Paul of Tarsus. And I believe that when we put it all together, we will leave here with an introduction of the glorious gospel of the kingdom of God and if the Lord is merciful, he will have gained more ground in all of us. In a way where it just won't be a memory. Oh yes, wasn't that a great conference? Wasn't it interesting? I met so and so. But one where we can say, Jesus Christ struck at my heart and something changed. And he gained more in me than he ever has. And may the Lord make that an answered prayer and desire and I will get more practical but when I finish I will still have shared with you one-fifth of what's on my heart the messages that will be part of the master class beyond these will uh, fill in the gaps and open up some new territory as well as the book let's do this stand to your feet this meeting is officially over. You can sit back down in fellowship, but I just want to say the meeting is over. <laughs>